Welcome to another episode of the Skeptical Sheep Podcast, where I bring you real stories and raw conversations from people who have left Christianity behind. You'll hear the highs and lows of what it's really like to leave your faith. I'm your host, Laura Flood, and let's meet this week's guest. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Skeptical Sheep Podcast. I have Brittany here, and I'm going to let her introduce herself to you. Hi, my name is Brittany Chavez. I am a student midwife and um, a mother and uh, just trying to figure life out like everybody else, I guess. (laughs) Will you take me back to the very beginning and tell me about your earliest experiences with Christianity? So I was raised traditional Roman Catholic. So I think when everybody gets the image of Catholics and Catholicism, they think about like Pope Francis and all the wonderful things that he's done and said, um, and how he's stood up for the poor and he's made a lot of really good. Um, I just feel like he's a really nice dude, you know? Uh, but I wasn't raised like nice Catholic. I was raised like culty Catholic, like the churches that I went to, you have to cover your head before you enter if you're a woman and you're not allowed to wear pants. So they won't let you take sacraments. Um, and they like, yeah, they frown upon like public schooling and they have like all these crazy conspiracy theories that have nothing to do with the religion. So it was really weird growing up. Um, the ceremony and like the rituals that they do in the Catholic and that type of Catholic tradition, it's really beautiful. There's a lot of like candles and incense and the music is ancient and, um, it feels very sacred and beautiful. Um, But I think like, I don't know, just growing up now, I can see that you can have ritual and beauty without having to have all of this toxic ideology. Um, So like, I guess my first earliest memories of going to church, um, I remember being probably about five and I was in church with my aunt and I was uh, reading one of the missiles. Okay. And a missile is like this book that they keep in the pews and it shows you how to follow along with the, with the mass, with the the ritual that they're doing. And so I'm like reading it and I'm like cackling and you can't do that when you're in Catholic church, you have to be really super quiet. So I'm like laughing to myself and my aunt is like, shh, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm reading the witch's spell. And she like smacked (laughs) me. Witches are like against everything that what it means to be Catholic. Um, and it's like really a scary thing to my family. Anyways, they're very superstitious. They were Italian and you know, all that stuff. So, uh, that's probably my earliest memory, uh, was just having to be really quiet and, and, um, and not being able to pretend I was a witch with a spell book, even though that's totally <laughs> what a missile is. So you grew up going to this really conservative Catholic sect of Christianity. And um, I actually didn't even know that there was Catholicism that existed that was that serious. Tell me about when your journey through religion or with your faith started to be more serious, if it ever did. Well, you know, I just kind of did what my parents told me to do. Um, I remember most of our lives, like as little kids, we would pray the rosary and kind of do like that family prayer together. Um, and I mean, we went to church every Sunday and on holy days too, because that's a thing you have to go on, on the six holy days or however many there are. Um, so, I mean, that was, it wasn't like really serious to me because it was just how I was raised and it's just what you do. And then I would say probably about seven or eight, we started to do like more learning about the religion, like catechism um, and and learning about the faith and like how to be a good Catholic. So we learned things like 
um, you know, people have original sin. And now that you know about this original sin, you can go to hell if you don't take this sacrament of confession. Um, and so that like for a seven-year-old, that's a really scary concept. I think hell is scary for anybody like this concept that you're going to be eternally punished if you don't do whatever these rules are. So that was really, I think, a frightening experience for me. Um, and then I kind of like was moving through that and I had a lot of other questions. So like what happens to people who live in other countries who um, don't know about Catholicism? Do they go to hell because they have this original sin? Or what happens to other children whose parents don't teach them about Catholicism. So um, it was very scary for me anyways, because I'm I'm like a caring person, very open by nature. So, and I didn't, um, obviously I didn't like think anything different than what my parents told me at that point. I just kind of uh, went along with it and I was like, yeah, so I really have to to be careful um, and to do what my parents tell me or else I'm going to break the fourth commandment. Uh, so that gave me a lot of anxiety growing up. And I guess I started to question things probably about 14 I went to a Catholic school and again, it wasn't like a Catholic school, but it was like a traditional Roman Catholic school, like weird, (laughs) whatever, like them. And they did not sugarcoat Catholic history. So they said things like um, they were talking about specifically like the indigenous Mesoamerican people um, and how the Spaniards came over. They were conquistadors. And they said things like the only good Indian is one who is dead or one who is converted. And a lot of the Indians were made to be slaves because they just weren't smart enough to um, to understand Catholicism. Um, and so I heard that as a 14 year old and I heard like how they were just making it seem like cultural genocide and genocide is perfectly fine and it's okay. And at that point I was a little bit older and I really started to like question if there is a God, would this loving God who created all of these people want to, to have people murdered or have people as slaves um, just because they believe differently than these other people who magically come over on a boat and decide that their way is the right way. So, and that happened around age 14, you started kind of saying this doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it really, it was because they were so open about, about history, about what really happened. So if I could, I would like to thank those people to thank those teachers and, you know, for just being there and, and for telling the story straight. Um, now, obviously I'm, I'm older now and I've had my own chance to do research and I understand things like, um, colonialization and genocide. And these were not terms that I heard when I was, um, in eighth grade, obviously, but still that openness of history and them saying like, we totally came over and, killed people and subjugated them. And that was fine because we did it and we love God. So we're great. I find it very encouraging that you say you want to thank them for not editing out, you know, your education and what they taught you. Because I think that there is, whether it's a Catholic school or Roman Catholic school or any religious school, there there always seems to be an element of censoring information to young people because they don't want them to question certain things. But it sounds like in your experience, you were told the entire truth, which is very interesting. So I think that uh, they were very open about history, but there were other things like books. So uh, when you look at the Bible, there's all these ancient texts that were edited around, you know, 400 AD or whatever, and they were taken away from the original, whatever it was. And that's when they actually compiled all of the Bible. Um, as a kid who is questioning now, so we're talking probably between the ages of 14, 16, 17, I wanted to read those books and to seek them out. 
And when I asked my priest about them or when I asked my family about like, how can I get a hold of these books to read what was taken out? I was simply told at that point that um, I shouldn't look into it and that those type of things lead you to the devil. Um, so I think there was an openness in some things, but you're right. There was a lot of secrecy with other things. Like you can't mess with this or this will, will do this thing to you. And again, it's that fear of hell and, and you know, all that stuff. So you started questioning things when you were a teenager and did you verbalize that to your parents who I'm assuming were still very devout at the time? Oh no. Um, I did not say anything. I, uh, I mean, teenagers like to rebel because they're, they're, at least that's what I was told when I was younger. I don't look at it as rebellion now that I have children of my own. I look at it as more like teenagers are looking to find their own way in the world. So when I started doing that, that really uh, created a rift between my mother and I. Um, and we already didn't have a good relationship. I think that my mom has a lot of issues that she needs to work through. So we still don't really talk. Um, even today as adults. Um, so that really, I think, put a kind of a wedge in our relationship because she is very devout and she like wholeheartedly believes everything she believes, which is wonderful. It's good that whatever that helps her. But uh, I think that she was upset and disappointed. And I wonder if maybe she felt like she failed as a parent because she has these deeply held beliefs. And then all of a sudden she's got this um, daughter, this teenager now who does not believe these things, even though she did her best. She always took us to church. We always prayed together. Um, there was just something where I couldn't make that connection and keep that. So that definitely, it made a big rift. Um, so I ended up leaving my mother's house. And, and when I was about 17, I went to go stay with my dad across the country. Um, and I also didn't have a relationship with him at that point. Uh, my parents divorced when I was probably like uh, two or three months old. So I was very little and he just wasn't a figure in my life. But at that point, that was the safest place for me to be. And my dad is not Catholic, is more spiritual. And my dad is gay. I think maybe my mom told me he was gay when I was maybe 14 or 15. So I was older. Um, but I grew up my whole life and didn't really have a good relationship, didn't really talk to him. And I think that that might have been another way that my mom was like, maybe trying to protect me or shelter me or keep me safe. Like, you can't know about the gays because um, I think a lot of people think it's like contagious or something. So like, if you know about <laughs> people who are gay, like you might catch it or something. I don't even know. It's so silly. But I went to go stay with my dad and um, he had a partner and um, he wasn't this horrible monster that my mom had made him out to be. My dad is actually probably the most humble human that I've ever met. He's very kind. He's very honest. And he's just like overall a really good person, like somebody that I'm glad that I know and I have a relationship with now. Um, so it was a very good and a very healing thing for me to get that opportunity um, to go live with him. Now, my dad agreed to certain conditions when I went to go live with him. Um, he agreed to conditions with my mother. So one of those conditions was that I had to keep going to church on Sundays. Um, so that lasted for probably about six months. And then I'm like, you don't believe this. I don't believe this. This is not something that is is working well for either of us. I know that these people would smite you if they had the opportunity. And I don't want to be here. So we kind of had this discussion probably uh I was about 17 and a half at the time. And um, yeah, and I just stopped going to church at that point. And um, I met my husband around that time too. Uh, so we were really super young little babies and we ended up getting married a year later. So uh, we're one of those weird kids that like met each other in high school and we've been married like a decade and it's still working out for us. So it was a really cool, interesting and like 
transitional time period for us, for me. When did you adapt kind of your own beliefs in life? Well, I got with my husband, we got married, we started having kids um, because I still had these belief systems that were very hard to get rid of. So even though I wasn't super feeling the Catholic thing, I had beliefs that were deeply ingrained in me that I still believe somewhere that I would go to hell. I would burn forever if I didn't follow this way of life. So um, one of the things, especially for traditional Catholics, that's very important is that you have children because that honors God and uh, that you don't use birth control because that is like a debauchery and that's disrespectful to God's creation. Um, So you can't take like hormonal birth control pills or use condoms or anything like that. Um, And my husband like was, he's not a religious person, has never been a religious person, but has always loved me so much that he is along for the ride with me. So we got married and started having kids and a lot of them. Um, So in like two years, I already had two kids And, um, I had stopped talking to my mother and my grandmother because they were very religious and they didn't approve of me being married or anything like that. So I finally started talking to my grandmother because I felt bad. I felt like, well, you know, I have these two little babies and she doesn't even know them. And my grandmother was like, was very supportive of me growing up and very sweet. So, um, I just felt like I owed it to her. Like, you know, I should let her have a relationship with these babies. Um, so I, you know, made contact with her and we started talking again. And then my grandmother starts talking about like, you are going to go to hell because of how you're living and um, your babies are going to go to hell because they haven't been baptized and wow. um, they have original sin. And, you know, your babies are going to burn forever. Like if you don't, go back to church. So we're going to find you a church that's that's suitable because you can't go to just any church when you're a traditional Roman Catholic. It has to be a, a Tridentine mass and it has to be done a certain way by a priest that was ordained, ordained a certain way. It's all crazy. I, I have to meet all these specifications and I'm going to find you this church and we'll find somebody who can either take you or you'll figure out how to get there. So we went through this long process. So when we started going to this church, they didn't recognize uh, my marriage with my husband. So we were married in a courthouse by a justice of peace. That, that was what we decided decided to do because at the time we weren't very ceremonial people and we didn't really care so much about marriage. We just knew that we wanted to be together and we were young and silly and we were like, we're going to do this. We're going to go to a courthouse and make this thing official. And so we did, uh, but they did not recognize that. So I had to go through this process of what they call convalidation, um, which is where they do all these different dispensations and then you have to wait a certain amount of time. So the bishop can say, yes, these people are allowed to be recognized as married in the Catholic church. Um, and that process took like eight months. Um, and during that time I was not allowed to be intimate with my husband, which put a lot of stress on our relationship. Um, because when you're young and you're in love, you like to be intimate. These are just things that are normal. Um, so again, this was like a, a whole process where I had to deny part of myself for some belief system. Um, so we went through all of that process and we ended up having five kids in total and all of them were baptized And then, um, and then something changed, you know, uh, it was like, I think, you know, 2016, 2017. And it was about the time when my two oldest kids would start, um, catechism classes. So this is, again, this is what I was talking about that I went through, um, where they tell you about original sin and they tell you about hell and they tell you about how you have to do things a certain way or, uh, or you'll, you'll perish or you'll burn in fire for eternity. Um, and I got to that point. And I just realized, like, I cannot tell my kids this because one, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in hell. Um, I don't believe in original sin or sin at all. 
Um, I cannot put this on my children. So I just stepped away and uh, we never went back after that. And, you know, that's, that was like almost four years ago now and, and I couldn't be happier. So I think that was like the nexus point, like the point where um, I was like, that's it. Like enough is enough. Um, and I don't have an obligation to damage my children for a belief system that I don't even, I'm not even really sure about it. I had gotten into birth work at the time and I was a, a doula. So I was like doing all these birth trainings and learning about birth advocacy and like the spiritual side of birth that a lot of times we neglect in our culture. And uh, I left, I went uh, with my smallest baby. She was eight months old. We went to Nashville, Tennessee. And I got to learn from all of these old midwives and all of these people who are really important in my field. So I met like Ina Mae Gaskin, I met Wapio, I met uh, Gina Kirby and Leslie Everett. So I met like all these people who were really super important to me and we held ceremony there. So it was like me and like 25 other women with all of these birthy goddesses. And the ceremony that we held was to open our hearts and minds so that we could receive information and uh, feel a connection with each other and with our group. And I felt so holy when I took that trip. I felt so beautiful and peaceful and sacred. And I felt such a connection um, when I was there doing that conference. And that's really what changed for me because I really did love the ritual of the, the Latin mass I really loved how beautiful it was. I loved the smells and the sounds and the music and everything. It was just wonderful. It was just that belief system that I couldn't, I couldn't accept fully. So when I went to Nashville and I did this birth conference and we're holding these ceremonies, I realized then that you could have sacred space and you could have ceremony and you could do things that were beautiful, like rituals, but they didn't have to be done in a certain manner. Um, and that's when I really realized that like I could just kiss everything goodbye and I would be totally fine because what I needed in my life was ritual. I needed ceremony. I needed that, that sense of sacredness. So I was able to find it during that conference and bring it back home with me. So I didn't need that belief system anymore because I got what I needed in my life. Do you think that the idea of ceremony and ritual and community, things that typically religions provide for people? Do you think that's something that we inherently crave? And do you think that's why it was such a turning point for you to find another way to do it? I do. I really do. I, I see um, hints of ritual and ceremony in our world. Um, everywhere we turn, we have little ceremonies. So when you graduate, you have a commencement. Um, when you get pregnant, you have a baby shower, celebrate birthdays, and you light candles and blow them out every year. And like, why do we do those things? Why do we sit at the table and, and eat with each other with all of our family on Thanksgiving? These are all tiny little pieces of ceremony or remnants of ceremony in our lives. And I think that humans really do crave that. I think that we need that that sacredness and that specialness and that connection to something else. And I'm not sure if it's God or if it's divine or source or the universe or the earth, but we do need that connection. And maybe it's just a connection to ourselves, like to our unconscious mind or just to, to what we 
we can't put into words, you know, this ritual and the ceremony and this act of being present is literally taking all of your emotions and making them present and giving them like a physical house. Um, so I think right. it's really important for people to be able to do that. And I think it's, it's super important to be able to do that um, with your family, especially. I think that's why holidays are really important. And then if people say it every year when we get together for like Christmas and things like that. But they always say, well, why don't we do this more often? And, you know, everybody feels guilty for a minute, but then we go back to our lives and we don't talk to each other for the spring and the summer. And then we wait until the next holiday together. So I would like to invite people to have more ceremony. I mean, that's really what you're missing. It's not the holidays. Christmas isn't special. Neither is Thanksgiving. Actually, it's horrible. (laughs) The origins (laughs) of that holiday are horrible. But um, what we're missing is that ceremony and that gathering and that eating and that just being present with each other. So I do think that's something that everybody is missing out on. And it's something that a lot of people don't even know they're missing out on. I was blessed to be raised in this belief system where ceremony and ritual was very important. And I was able to transform you know, my life and understand, keep that importance of ceremony and ritual, but get rid of the beliefs that didn't serve me. So I am very grateful for my upbringing in that respect. So you'd mentioned that you had this big epiphany at the birth conference in Nashville where you you really realized and you had a moment where you realized that you could do ceremonial things without it having to be religious. How do you still implement that in your life now? What are your beliefs now and what is what does that look like for you? Through my life I've just learned that every time that I gain a belief, it's just torn down. So I don't really have any beliefs anymore. <laughs> I know that probably sounds a little funny, but um, I just feel like I had these ideas when I was, you know, at that conference and I had my ideas about what God was and what the universe looked like and what happens after you die. But really, honestly, um, I've never met God and I've never uh, crossed over. I've never passed before. So I really, I don't have the answers for what happens to these things. So I don't really have a solid belief on, oh, this is what happens and I can help you through this. Um, Instead, I've more developed my sense of deep listening and empathy so that I'm able to talk to people and to meet them where they're at. Um, So I I know that's probably strange or counterintuitive, but I don't really have a lot of beliefs anymore. I'm just here kind of existing. And I brought ceremony and ritual into my life by by just being present. And anything can be a ceremony or a ritual, anything at all. Um, So it could be as simple as brushing your teeth or um, washing the dishes, but anything that you do with purpose and with intention and with presence is a ritual. Um, I've had a lot of chronic illnesses in my life. So I was kind of looking for a way, a healing modality, really, that I could help other people, but something that I could do that would fit my body and my my disabilities at that time. So um, at the time, I couldn't really stand. I couldn't really walk. I didn't drive. I had a lot of physical conditions that prevented me from from being mobile. So I was online and I was like, there's a Reiki course and the course description says you can sit in a chair and heal people. I'm all for that. (laughs) And uh, my husband's like, well, you just had a baby. I just had our fourth child. And he's like, I just don't think you should do stuff like that right now. You should just rest. And like, oh my God, you don't tell me what to do ever 
ever. So I'm like, that just makes me want to do it more. I'm like, no, I'm going to do this class. <laughs> and um, so my husband actually drove me because like I said, I didn't drive at the time. So I showed up, I'm like four days postpartum, I've got a baby in a sling. And this lady's like, you said you had a baby. I didn't know it was that small. I'm like, I'm here for it. Let's go. <laughs> so I started this class and I didn't really believe it. Because like I said, I was super Catholic at the time, didn't believe in like energy or anything super alternative, um, just because of my upbringing. And she's like, yeah, you can like feel the energy and like balance stuff. I'm like, uh, this is really weird. So she's talking about all this stuff and I'm just like giggling the whole time, like a little schoolgirl, because I'm like, whatever. So at the end of the class, the Reiki master did a healing session on each of the students. So when she got to me, she spent a lot of time working specifically on my back and on my hips. And when I got up from the table, I was able to walk I was able to, I went out and got my driver's license. I, it totally changed my life, just this one healing session. And because of how much change I got in my physical body, I just kept doing it. Like I have practiced Reiki every day since, and I've gone through all the levels. So now I'm like a Reiki master and I teach other people about it, but it's been so amazing for me. And what I really think, and I have no way to prove this, but what I really think is, I think sometimes we have physical conditions like um, illnesses or pain, and they're actually emotional. They're like uh, trapped emotions that are stuck in our body and they manifest as illness. And I think sometimes there's no pill or doctor or surgery that can cure those things. And the only thing that you can do is to work through them emotionally. So I think on some level, Reiki can help people with their emotions and just to really stress and to be more calm. And I really feel like that's what it did for me. I think that's a perfect example of how you found a way to incorporate ceremony and ritual and some some element of spiritualness in your life without it having to be Catholicism and religious rules and such. Yeah. What would you say to somebody who is maybe in the position you were questioning the beliefs that they grew up with or that they were taught? Sure. So what I would say, um, so what was said to me, okay, let's, let's go back to that. So when I was um, doing that convalidation process with my marriage at the Catholic Church, um, the priest said to us um, that you always have to do what makes sense to you. And I took that to heart. And at the time, I continued with the Catholicism. I got my kids baptized. Um, and I did what made sense to me until it no longer made sense. And when I had this kind of epiphany or this change or nexus point in Tennessee, and I came home and I like told my husband, okay, we're never going back to church again. I was just doing what made sense to me. Um, I know I've had friends that were atheists when I was really super into the Catholic thing. And they were like, this is just stupid. God's not real you don't even know what you're talking about. It's so silly to believe in this made up stuff, but I couldn't hear those words that they were saying because to me, I was just doing what made sense. So if I was able to speak to anybody else who is kind of questioning religion, I would just tell them to sit with themselves, to sit with their emotions and to really think about what they actually feel or what they actually believe and just do what makes sense. Because it's true. There's no point in... And I know religious people would disagree with this because they would always say that the point is to always follow Jesus Christ, but there's no point in doing something if it doesn't make sense to you and if it's not making you happy. Absolutely. And believe me, I tried, you know, I did the whole faith thing and the whole just, uh, you know, go through the motions and do the mass and take the sacraments. And eventually you'll find that spark of, 
of belief and it didn't work. So that that ultimately was the best thing. And that was the thing that helped me move forward. Did anyone ever try to convince you to go back to your religious beliefs like family members or friends? So I live in Oklahoma and it's very small town vibes. Like it doesn't matter if you live in Oklahoma City or Tulsa or Norman, like you can live in a big area, but it's still a small town and everybody knows everybody. So imagine like living in the smallest town ever where everybody knows everybody's business and then doing something that's absolutely goes against the grain, like leaving your religion. And, and like, that's a really big deal here. So because everybody knows everybody and they knew that we weren't going to church, I was just avoiding people. Like I would go to Aldi, like the grocery store, and I would see somebody from church and I would duck behind the other aisle and wait for them to pass. Cause I did not want to talk to them. And like, I'm not having this conversation. I was all like freaked out about it. I didn't, I was so afraid because my grandma dragged me back that one time And then I ended up doing that for years before I was able to leave again. I didn't, I wasn't confident enough in myself to be able to have that kind of conflict or confrontation because I thought that I just wasn't strong enough to, to stand up and to say like, I'm not doing this anymore. So um, it's actually a really funny story. What ended up happening, what was my final like severing off point or whatever with, with the whole Catholicism with that community. I was taking my kids that day to, uh, to Norman and they had this, all these Buddhist monks that were coming from India. And there was like windows in the post office that I stopped at. So I put my kids windows down in the car and I said, okay, I can see you in the windows. Don't move. I'm going to run in the post office, drop off my package, and then we'll go to Norman. And so I'm talking about this as I'm like driving in the car. And uh, they're like, the kids are like, what do these Buddhist monks do? Like, what is that? I'm like, well, they like kind of sing and they like bless people and stuff. It's really cool. You'll love it. So I'm playing like Tibetan throat singing music for my children. So um, I turn the car off. I let the windows down. I'm in the post office. I'm looking at them. And then I hear somebody say, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it was one (laughs) of the ladies from church. I had avoided for years and she finally caught up to me in the post office. So I'm like sitting here and I'm like all nervous and I'm like, hi. So I get done my post office business and she's like blocking the door and wouldn't let me leave without speaking to her. So she's like, well, can I see the kids? So we go and walk over to my car. I get in the car and unlock it. And don't you know, as loud as it could possibly be playing, the Tibetan throat singing was on my speakers in the car. And this lady from church was like looking so horrified, but it was like, that was the moment where I was like, I am so okay with all of my life choices. She's going to probably go back to the church and like tell everybody that I was listening to some crazy music where the people are like throats chanting or whatever. And I just felt okay, you know? And one of the things she said was she was like, well, we hope that we're going to see you uh, at the Easter mass or whatever time it was that year. And I was like, no, um, you won't see us ever again at the church. We're not going to be coming back. And then she asked why. And I said, I had just a life reordering event and this doesn't work for me anymore. So at that point, I felt like I was able to like stand in my own power and in my own truth and and actually tell her, I just am not doing this anymore. Like it's not a you thing. I loved everybody at church. I thought they were such great, nice and kind people. Um, it was more of an us thing where like, I'm sorry, it's just doesn't work for my family anymore. 
I love that story. Just picturing you finally, because it sounds like you were in this phase of, I don't believe this anymore, but I'm not going to just go ahead and tell people about it because what's the point? I'll just lay low, you know? And then it's just, you were in a situation where it was just like, well, she found out. What am I going to do? I might as well own it. (laughs) It was so wonderful. (laughs) We did end up going to see the Buddhist monks and, and my kids were just so happy. Like, you know, you always have to be so quiet in Catholic masses and at ceremonies and stuff. And it was just a different vibe and a different feel. It was still very sacred. Uh, if you've ever been to a Buddhist ceremony, like they do chanting and they do incense and they have loud instruments and, and it's really a spectacle. But I was so glad to be able to share that type of ceremony with my kids. And, and again, not sharing those kind of like more oppressive beliefs. So like the way that I've gone about rearing my children is whenever they have really big questions like how were humans created or what happens when you die I never give them an answer I just say like well what do you think and why do you think it's important to do that why why is it so important to to feed a child's natural curiosity as opposed to tell telling them that you know all the answers when really nobody does well you know I I had a lot of pain growing up and and coming to this realization that uh, my parents weren't gods and they didn't have all the answers. They weren't always right. Uh, Because when I was raised, I was raised, I love my parents very much and I always listened to them at face value. I think it's mean to mislead your children. And I know a lot of us do it kind of like uh, it's either a cultural thing or we're just doing the best we can, but I mean, like children before the age of seven, they cannot distinguish the difference between things that really happen and things that are fantasy. So like we don't even do Santa Claus or Easter Bunny or anything like that because I feel like it's mean to trick your children. And I I just think it's unkind to give them answers that you don't really have. Because if one day they come to this realization on their own that Santa Claus isn't real or Um, There is no God who is punishing you or making you be a good person or whatever that realization is. I don't want them to feel like they're disappointing me or to feel like I somehow lied to them. I just want them to arrive at their own conclusions. And it's, it's a great point that you bring up. You know, I think it is. It's easier for us as humans to believe that we know the answers and that bad things happen because there's a God who has an ultimate plan and is looking out for us rather than just have to sit with the fact that like stuff just happens. It just does because it does. And there's no explanation for it because that's a lot scarier, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, And it requires more um, emotional presence for you to, to accept that you're, you don't have all the answers and that there's not some unseen force that has all the answers. You know, sometimes I think that it's a lot of strength and, and it's very difficult to accept that sometimes things happen and you don't know why. I wasn't going to talk about this today, but I think maybe I will. Um, so a couple weeks ago, we lost our youngest child uh, in a really horrible accident. And so that's been really hard on our family. It's been really hard because you I mean, there's just so much, you know, nobody ever thinks that like you're going to go to work and then when you come home, your baby will be gone. She'll be dead. Um, And I think that that is it's been really difficult to process. So, I mean, we're doing all the right things and we have a lot of community support. We have counselors. But like what has amazed me through this process is my children and 
and the strength that they have. These little people have so much strength while they're like walking through this this unimaginable um, situation where they've lost their their youngest sister, you know, and they're walking through this. We all are as a family, but we're walking through this without the strings of religion. We're walking through this without the strings of belief. We don't, we haven't told our kids that, um, you know, Jesus loved our baby so much that he took her or something that I would have heard growing up. Um, we haven't told her that she'll be in heaven you know, we haven't told them any of these things and they're handling it very well. And I think it's because we're still following those same principles of like letting the kids lead and letting them ask questions and letting them tell us what they think instead of telling them how it is. Because again, with, with sometimes bad things, they really, they just happen and they're unimaginable. Uh, but we really don't have the answers. You know, we just don't know why, what the energetic reason or purpose is for this unimaginable experience that we're going through. And we don't know what happens when people die. So we have to, we have to be honest with our kids and walk through them or walk with them through this, you know, openly and honestly. Yeah. And first of all, I'm so very sorry for your loss. I really am. Um, and just, yeah, as, as far as having, having to, accept reality and how it takes so much more emotional presence, as you put it, to accept reality. I'm sure it's been like extraordinarily difficult, but like you said, you don't want to, you don't want to give anybody false hope because you don't know the answers. You just have to say, we don't know why this happened. And that's really, really hard. And that's the hardest thing about life, isn't it? That we don't know why bad things happen. We don't know why people die. We don't know where they go. And that's what religion gives us, isn't it? It gives us an answer to the hardest questions in life. And and like I said before, sometimes it's just, it's harder to sit with yourself and to not have this comfort that there is some being in the sky who um, will hold you and take away your sorrow and and will keep your, your dead until you cross over to see them, to meet them. Um, it's, it's easy, I think, in a way to believe that people are in a better place or that things will be okay. But the reality of it is sometimes things aren't okay. Um, and I had hoped that when we crossed the conversation of death with our children, that it would have been an older family member somebody who you would expect to pass. So this is just really super uncharted because we do have older family members and they are sick. So we've been able to have that conversation, but we've never really talked about what happens when, you know, somebody who's so small leaves, you know, so it has been a very big process. But again, I am nothing but thankful for my life experiences and, and for the fact that I'm processing this and I'm walking through this without believing something that I don't believe and forcing myself to accept some sort of belief system and and everything has just been so perfect with the process. Like we've been able to to lay our daughter to rest in a way that is honorable to us and to our spiritual beliefs instead of me feeling obligated to have this big, you know, Catholic ritual or ceremony, um, that wouldn't have been peaceful to me. That would have been really stressful, actually. So um, everything about this has been has been the best that it could possibly be, given the absolutely horrendous situation. We cannot be more happy right now, just 
walking through this in our own way and not being forced, having somebody else's customs forced on us. I don't know if that makes sense, but (laughs) yeah. It makes total sense. And what I thought of as you were saying that was the quote that you said earlier, um, when the priest told you that you always have to do what makes sense to you. And I think that that's, that's apparent that, you know, how important that really is. What would you say to somebody who maybe is going to visit a church for the first time um, and is thinking, you know, I think I want to like do this. I want to like commit to being, you know, close to God. What would you say to somebody if you could talk to them in that moment? You know, I would tell them that God is relative and that things that are divine and that are sacred, it's just whatever you think is divine and sacred. I mean that in the best way possible. So I'm so open, man. If you want to go to a church and to experience those kind of rituals and ceremonies and that belief system, and you truly believe that that's going to lead you to to peace, to inner peace, go for it. Um, but I would, I would just, like I said, caution you, do the things that make sense. But I just want to, again, express my gratitude for for all of the people who have been on my path who have supported me and who have allowed me to explore spirituality so that I could find a path and I could find a way of being that is honorable to my own lifestyle. Again, thank you so much, Brittany, for being here. And I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate you being so open with me today. Yes, you're very welcome, Laura. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to to come and share. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Skeptical Sheep Podcast. To stay in touch, you can follow Skeptical Sheep Podcast on Instagram and Skeptical Sheep 2 on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. I'm glad you're here and have a wonderful day.